Welcome to KABU, Yasmin Hanoush. Thanks for having me here, Janice. Well, Professor Hanoush is on the faculty in the Department of World Languages and Literature at Portland State University, where she directs the Arab Arabic program. She's an Iraqi writer of both fiction and nonfiction and author of a number of publications and translations, as well as teaching courses, including critical perspectives on the Middle East, oil cities and the Arabic novel, the Arabian Nights, and among many others. So it's a pleasure to have you on the Old Variety Hour today to talk about your course this term, War, Coloniality, and Arab Cinema. We'll be talking later about how listeners can see the films on the PSU campus on Thursday evenings this term. So let's start by having you lay out the key themes of the class, and including the people and, and places identified as Arab filmmakers. Thank you. Thanks again for having me here, Janice. So um, as you mentioned, I direct the Arabic program. I'm also the only full-time faculty in the Arabic program, which poses a challenge. There are 22 Arab countries, and um, it's hard to do all of them justice in uh, the few um, course offerings that we can make. So I try in most of my courses to cover as much uh, geopolitical and cultural ground as I can possibly uh, do in, uh, without focusing on one individual country. Uh, so I try to seize out those themes that apply uh, to the region as a whole. And in my culture and literature courses, I generally aim to help students decenter and deconstruct dominant narratives that circulate in the West about the Middle East and the Arab world. I do so by bringing in not only marginalized voices and perspectives that are often missing or misrepresented in dominant discourses, I also use these cultural artifacts and voices to reframe how the overarching identity narratives are presented to Western audiences and to underscore the mechanisms of misrepresentation. So, for example, students often come to our classes thinking that the central problems in the Arab world that they will learn about stem from um, religious intolerance, uh, a clash of civilizations, or the oppression of women. Uh, in my courses, I try to help students situate these tropes uh, within a larger discourse that places the enduring imperialist colonial projects and their neoliberal and neocolonial aftermath as the starting point of understanding the modern Arab world. So with, with Israel's war against Gaza and so much activism, as well as horror unfolding around Palestine. How, how do you think these films and the class itself provide ways of seeing this region and its people? You said some of what, what you try to do is uh, critique conventional tropes, stereotypes, ways of looking from uh, through the Western gaze, we might say. Mm -hmm. But how, how, do you, how do you see these particular films as providing a, a form of it's a form of cultural work, but also political work. Uh huh. Well, well. First, in order to situate this more in what is happening right now, uh, there is a massive misinformation or disinformation campaign on the origins of the so-called conflict between Israel and Palestine. 
um, rather than the colonial, settler colonial history of those events. And oftentimes, this crucial hegemonic global context is missing from mainstream representations. And also, we look at this region uh, only by zooming in into Israel and Palestine without understanding the interconnectedness of what goes on within um, nearby countries. And so in this course, uh, as an example, all the films we watch in this class depict anti-colonial and post-colonial struggles and war resistance efforts from the perspective of the colonized populations and the victims of wars and war devastating the war's devastating aftermath. So the reason is that traditionally these perspectives are absent or secondary in the empire film genre that dominates major Anglo-American film industries. So what the films presented in this course have in common is that they talk back to the dominant views of Western films, namely the umpire and the Western uh, film genres that center the imperial and the colonial experiences of the colonizer and the settler, whether to glorify or to critique them. Um, so uh, in a sense, we're presenting a counter narrative to what the uh, American audiences are um, more comfortable or familiar with. Um, we start the course with two films from the national uh, epic genre, The Lion of the Desert and The Chronicle of the Years of Embers. Both of these films are state-funded uh, post-independence movies that were made with the intent to forge and solidify a new collective national identity for the Libyan and the Algerian people, respectively. Uh, the Lion of the Desert was made in 1981, monumental production, um, and it narrates the story of fascist Italy's occupation of Libya from 1911 to 1931 uh, under Mussolini's rule. And right away, the students start to notice the, the parallels between the present context and uh, history that's that was taking place uh, 100 years ago. Uh, the same happens with the Algerian epic, The Chronicle of the Years of Embers, which chronicles events during the French colonial period, which, which lasted for about 130 years in Algeria, from 1830 to 1962. And this film focuses more on the personal experience of peasants in Algeria and how they coped with the indirect impacts of colonial presence, like the shortage of water, the droughts the farmers had to deal with because the water was diverted to the lands of the French settlers in Algeria. This is an example of how the daily lives of people, the intimate aspects of personal life and these stories collect, connect with larger historical dynamics and and historical stories. Yes, yes, exactly. And what, what the course brings uh, to life is that these struggles are continuous and repetitive and that the tropes repeat in many of those colonial contexts. Uh, and so rather than getting stuck in word quibbles about is this settler colonialism or is it not? Uh, is this genocide or is it not? We work comparatively to see what it looked like in recent history in other adjacent nation states. What is the hegemonic project uh, like? What is, what is the human cost of these occupations and, and these uh, infringement of, of other uh, Western interests in the region on the local populations? You know, Edward Said wrote a classic book uh, called Orientalism that took up some of this same problem of how the Middle East is understood through the fetishizing 
uh, gaze of Western eyes. And it sounds like some of the choices you've made of films and the film projects themselves kind of speak back to that notion of the Western Oriental gaze. Yes, pretty much. Edward Said's theories in his his masterpiece book, Orientalism, and also his other masterpiece, Culture and Empire, speak about uh, the cultural products that accompany the making of empire. And um, the movie industry is kind of like an extension of that. It's it's the aftermath of of the Western novel um, perpetuating or legitimizing the colonial project. And um, so, yeah, pretty much everything we do is uh, informed indirectly or indirectly by what Edward Said has contributed to the field. Uh, you are right to point out his contributions. And so from the state-sponsored um, epic movies, we move into something very different in genre, in tenor. Um, this is a movie that was supposed to screen this week, but unfortunately the uh, Manasa Center is closed due to damage from the ice storm. Uh, the movie is Silences of the Palace which is a Tunisian melodrama that was made by um, Tunisian women director, uh, Mufida Tlaitli. And uh, this movie looks at the impact of colonialism, specifically on the lives of women and what the post-independence experience for women in Tunisia has been like. Can you say a bit about women directors who, as I understand it, in Arab cinema have emerged in the in recent decades as a a presence and what is like many areas of filmmaking, primarily a a male field of filmmakers and film production. What do you think this director brings as as a lens on the lives of, of women, in addition to focusing on women and the untold stories of women? Mm-hmm. So a little context about Tunisia, although Tunisia is the smallest of the cinemas of the Maghreb, of you know uh, Arab North Africa, it's nonetheless, uh, it has the largest number of women directors. And the reason is that the 1956 post-independence um, state law uh, gave uh, Tunisian women social status unprecedented in any other Arab or Muslim country. What is remarkable about these Tunisian films that were made by uh, women film directors is that while recognizing the difficulties women face in the Arab world, they refuse to turn their protagonists into passive recipients of patriarchal violence. Instead, a movie like Silences of the Palace and and other movies uh, situate these social cruelties within their broader, more encompassing colonial and post-colonial frameworks of societal uh, oppression. And so uh, by doing so, they help us understand the intersections between sexism, racism, state-sanctioned violence, and um, the uh, legacy of colonialism. It sounds like focusing on the agency of women as well. Yes, very much so. Uh, Lately, in her own language, described her female protagonist as colonized by the colonized. So she creates a bigger context for their uh, struggle for liberation. They are not only struggling to liberate themselves from the world of um, patriarchy and men, but also those men who are oppressing them are themselves victims of another system of oppression, namely colonialism. Yeah, that that notion of struggling with patriarchies within as well as patriarchies imposed by the Western powers is a... I'm sure an important theme among women directors there as it is in other places in the world. For sure. So um, there's also a film 
set in your own home country of Iraq that tells a very different story, as I understand. I haven't seen the film, but I've I've read about it, uh, Son of Babylon, that mm -hmm. um, is set um, after the fall of Saddam Hussein, about a young boy and and his relationship, I think, with his grandmother, which sounds like it has a, a theme around the role of women in men's lives. Can you say a little about that mm -hmm. film and do you, and whether you feel a particular affinity with Son of Babylon as an Iraqi scholar? Mm -hmm. uh, it, yeah, it's it's the film uh, whose um, cultural and artistic terrain and, and also geographical terrain are most familiar to me, having grown up in Iraq. Um, I was born and raised there and I spent the first 17 years of my life in Iraq. And uh, the story is mostly told from the perspective of the child. So it, it's, it's very endearing and also very human and reminiscent of uh, my own recollection of Iraq as a child and, and adolescent. And this movie was released in 2010. And um, it's, as you mentioned, it, it uh, characterizes the relationship between a grandmother and her grandchild. And uh, what's heartbreaking about that story is that they're the only two remaining members of that family. And uh, the plot line itself is a search. It's an aftermath. It's post-war odyssey in search of the father of the son, who's the son of the grandmother, after they heard that um, prisoners of war have been released. So the, um, the time setting for this movie is... Uh, outset of um, the fall of uh, Saddam Hussein's Ba'athist regime in 2003 and uh, the invasion of the U.S.-led uh, powers in Iraq and the country, the, the landscape, the, back, the backdrop to the story in the movie is, is complete chaos being unleashed throughout Iraq as the grandmother and her child travel in search of a son who had served in the military. And as they search for, for the son, father, uh, they encounter other Iraqis who tell their uh, stories of hardship. And, and then they learn about other um, very difficult events that uh, took place during the reign of, of Saddam Hussein and the previous 30 years. Also, what's striking about this movie is that it initially starts out in northern Iraq. It moves all around the country and in so doing, it juxtaposes the experience of a Kurdish um, people, a Kurdish grandmother and her child, to other Iraqis. So rather than representing Iraqis as one national or ethno-religious monolith, it, it brings out indirectly the diversity, the ethnic and religious diversity of the country. And uh, there are some striking scenes where they talk to each other and acknowledge the the atrocities that the Iraqi uh, government committed against its own uh, Kurdish people in the north. Um, so yes, highly recommended. It's also the movie that will be screening next week. So I hope uh, some folks will be able. To yes, I look forward to that. Can you say a little about the translation? I assume all these films are in Arabic and have um, subtitles translating for the audiences, non-Arabic speaking people. Is, is that something that as a translator yourself, um, that you've been attuned to some of the challenges in particularly the subtleties the, and the beautiful nuances of Arabic and how well they translate 
to the very limited amount of words often that are, that people are able to read in subtitling. Can, can you say a bit about that? Um, yes, most of these movies are in Arabic and or the colonial language of that country um, or a mix of the two. And uh, there is a, a considerable loss in translation, as is often the case, but especially with Arabic, since the registers of the different vernaculars are so different. Uh, so, you know, everybody's speaking in their regional dialect. Um, but you only get one version of English in the subtitles. Also, the quality of the subtitles varies from a movie to movie, from movie industry to movie industry, from time period to time period. Uh, some of these movies were banned or um, not distributed in the U.S., so the quality of their English subtitles are leave leave more to be desired. I bet um, that grates on you at times as a translator. <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately, I have not personally contributed to the translation of, of the subtitles yet. I, I do think of it as a nice project to do with my language students. Um, I, think I, I can imagine. Mind. Yeah, there's work to be done there. Yes. yes. Um, and I, I want to, before concluding, talk about the Tunisian director, uh, Kalther Benhania who's from Tunisia, and actually she's showing her more recent film at the Cascade Festival of African Films at Portland Community Colleges in early March. So you've chosen her recent film, The Man Who Sold His Skin, which seems beautifully produced, riveting, and heartbreaking. Can you say a little about that film and her vision as um, sounds like she's in a sense a feminist filmmaker and also has a broad anti-colonial kind of lens on her subjects. Yeah, this uh, film was very striking. It was very different. When I uh, watched it for the first time, it, it stood out as being distinct uh, from uh, most of the other movies I have seen on these topics that I teach in this class. Uh, it's an internationally uh, co-produced drama, um, as you mentioned, by Tunisian uh, women director Kouthar Benhanina. And um, it was nominated for the Best International Feature Film in 2021. And it tells the story of a Syrian of, of Syrian refugees during the um, uh, Syrian civil war that had started in 2011. And the hard choices they have to make in order to survive their hardships. And although the main protagonist is male, there's a very strong female character there as well. Um, the, the woman he's in love with and tries to pursue later on in, in Europe. But the story revolves on um, some more abstract themes that... Um, are very thought-provoking. Basically, the story is that this, the Syrian refugee agrees to get the Schengen visa tattooed on his back uh, by one of the most controversial contemporary artists in the West, and um, his own body turns into a living work of art and uh, promptly exhibited in museums. And then the film offers a caustic critique of the commodification of refugee bodies and the restrictions placed on their movements in the world. It's a very different refugee story than the conventional ones of masses of refugees in boats that are sinking, which have their own power. But this is a very different approach to a refugee story. Yes, a very different framing. It's about the relationship between art, commerce, and capitalism. 
and how these three conspire to um, undermine um, human dignity and, and human rights. So it, it zooms out of, of the scene into the bigger context of what, what refugees have to contend with globally. So can you say a little bit about how you envision this class opening up to serve the community. And uh, it's not very common in my experience that screenings of films and film classes are open to the community. Um, Say a little bit about that and Mm -hmm. how and where people can see the films and perhaps where they can find out if they want to go online or can they just show up each Thursday and see what what's happening? Uh, yeah, so uh, credit mostly goes to Mr. Uh, Ahmed Al-Mansouri, the uh, director of the new Manassas Center. Can uh, you say what Manassas stands for? Uh, Manassas is the Middle East, North Africa, uh, South Asia. Uh, it was an initiative with the goal of creating a cultural center to support uh, the Manassas student community at PSU. And they just inaugurated this new beautiful space in fall 2023. And this is why we're able to um, open up these screenings for free and to the public. So the public are welcome to come and watch these movies every Thursday at 4 p.m. The location is uh, Smith Memorial Student Union, uh, second floor, room 238. And the address is 1825 Southwest Broadway, uh, Suite uh, 238, Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your important work.